Three Rings for the Elven Kings, The Stranger's New Adventure, and Halbrand is back in Mordor. We continue our spoiler-rich adventure exploring the lore behind the finale of Rings of Power Season 1. You are listening to the third of three lore breakdowns. Welcome! In the Lore of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Magavanyan, fellow wanderers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We left our adventure with Elrond pulling Galadriel out of the dark water and into the light after Galadriel successfully navigates Sauron's mind games. Galadriel races to Celebrimbor's workshop while Elrond tries to piece together what has happened to her. In Celebrimbor's workshop, Elrond explains that he pulled Galadriel from the water of the Glanduin. This is a river that is joined by the stream formed at the west gate of Moria, and it is considered the border of the land Eregion or Holland, that Celebrimbor now inhabits. Galadriel proposes something like the checks and balances that are in the U.S. Constitution, but I do love the line she gives, quote, one will always corrupt, two divide, and Celebrimbor finishes, quote, with three, there is balance. Then Galadriel says that the powers are for the elves alone, quote, untouched by other hands. This fits with several statements made about the three rings throughout Tolkien's writings. And this seems to be a clear and simple point, that Sauron did not have a part in making the Three Rings. Here are some statements which I referenced in episode 40, The Forging of the Rings, and I'll repeat here for emphasis. In the Silmarillion, quote, The three remained unsullied, for they were forged by Celebrimbor alone, and the hand of Sauron had never touched them, yet they were also subject to the One. From The Shadow of the Past in the Fellowship of the Ring, as said by Gandalf to Frodo, quote, the three fairest of all, the elf lords hid from him, and his hand never touched them or sullied them. And three from the chapter of the Council of Elrond, also in fellowship, as said by Elrond, quote, The three were not made by Sauron, nor did he ever touch them. Celebrimbor informs them that the Mithril refuses to be joined with lesser metals, and he needs the highest quality gold and silver, like that of Valinor. Just to refresh your memories, Valinor is the far western land, and is sort of like heaven or paradise for the elves. The Valar dwell there, and that's where Galadriel was born. The only gold and silver from Valinor available is Galadriel's dagger. I mentioned this twice in my previous breakdown, but that dagger is a Rings of Power invention, and Galadriel took it from her brother Finrod after his death. Finrod had that dagger in Valinor, before the elves returned as told in the Rings of Power prologue. The gold of the dagger represents the golden tree of Valinor, Lorelin, which is described in Tolkien's Silmarillion as having, quote, leaves of a young green like the new opened beech, their edges were of glittering gold, 
flowers sung upon her branches in clusters of yellow flame, formed each to a glowing horn that spilled a golden rain upon the ground, and from the blossom of that tree there came forth warmth and a great light. The silver in the dagger represents the silver tree of Eleanor, Telperion, described as having, quote, leaves of dark green that beneath were as shining silver, and from each of his countless flowers a dew of silver light was ever falling, and the earth beneath was dappled with the shadows of his fluttering leaves. These two trees, while not the first light source for Middle-earth, are certainly the most renowned, the sun and the moon being meager copies of the trees. The light of the trees was captured in the three Silmarils which Feanor, Galadriel's uncle, created. If you look closely in some shots, the dagger also has three white pearls representing the Silmarils. Celebrimbor says, quote, True creation requires sacrifice. This line, while not specifically a Tolkien line, I think fits in the mythology that Tolkien created. And I really love the symbolic gesture that Galadriel has before her. That dagger not only represents the light of the trees, but for her specifically, it connects Galadriel to her brother Finrod, and the task of fighting against evil with force, specifically hunting down Sauron. If you remember in Rings of Power Episode 1, it was the dagger, and all that it meant to Galadriel, for which she turned back from Valinor and jumped from the ship. That was a mighty choice. And now to sacrifice the dagger in the hopes of creating something new, something more powerful and meaningful than a vengeful quest of physically fighting evil, that is a mightier choice indeed. But before we see what Galadriel chooses, we jump over the Misty Mountains to the east and say goodbye to the Harfoots. The stranger, who I'm happy to report can now speak in full sentences, is resolved to go to Rune. He translates the word Istar as wise one or wizard. But don't be hasty. We don't yet know if the stranger is Gandalf. He could be Radagast, or Saruman, or one of the blue wizards who went into the east, or he could be an entirely different character. Now, in Unfinished Tales, we're told that the wizards, quote, first appeared in Middle-earth about the year 1000 of the Third Age, but for long they went about in simple guises. Since Rings of Power is set sometime in the Second Age, it's unclear if the stranger is one of the five wizards we will later know in the Third Age. However, there's some wiggle room to play with. Further in Unfinished Tales, quote, Of this order of wizards, the number is unknown. But of those that came to the north of Middle-earth, their chiefs were five. So it's possible that in this gray area, some one or more wizards came to Middle-earth and had little interaction with elves or men before the chief five wizards came in the Third Age. However, the stranger is intent on going east and we know that the two blue wizards, quote, passed into the east, but they never returned. And whether they remained in the east, pursuing there the purposes for which they were sent, or perished, or as some hold were ensnared by Sauron and became his servants, is not now known. Also, Saruman, when he first came to Middle-earth, traveled into the east before taking up abode at Isengard. But again, that was during the Third Age thousands of years after the events of the Second Age in Rings of Power. And I love the bit about adventures versus journeys. Journeys are taken alone, but adventures are meant to be shared. Adventure stories are crucial to the human psyche. Tolkien wrote this in his essay on fairy stories, quote, Most good fairy stories are about the adventures of men in the perilous realm or upon its shadowy marches. 
And this reminds me of the scene in the Hobbit movie where Bilbo is running through the Shire, telling his neighbor, I'm going on an adventure! As Nori and Poppy say their farewells, we're reminded of a big theme of Tolkien, friendship. And it's the hobbits like Frodo and Sam, and Merry and Pippin, who best embody this theme, and perhaps Legolas and Gimli. Never thought I'd die side by side with an elf. How about side by side with a friend? And Nori manages to sneak a Frodo-like line in. Quote, I haven't an inkling which way to go, she says to the stranger. Frodo said, when resolved to take the ring to Mordor, quote, I will take the ring, though I do not know the way. Also, this may be a veiled reference to a writing group called The Inklings, who were like a writing club that Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were a part of, along with various other writers. And just to thicken the theory that the stranger is Gandalf, he smells the air and says, quote, There's a sweet smell on the air this way. When in doubt, Eleanor Brandyfoot, always follow your nose. You probably don't need me to remind you of this, but that's nearly identical to what Gandalf says to Mary while choosing which passage to take in Moria. Quote, the air doesn't smell so foul down here. If in doubt, Miriadoc, always follow your nose. The actual line from the book is, quote, I do not like the feel of the middle way, and I do not like the smell of the left-hand way. There is foul air down there, or I am no guide. The stranger and Nori part ways with the rest of the Harfoots, and that's the last we see of them in Season 1. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We return to Eregion, where Galadriel has decided to give up her dagger for the forging of the three elven rings. I found this to be a touching scene, the forge doors closing on Galadriel as the dagger melts away. Galadriel is, in a way, giving up the need for revenge, the last vestiges of war against Morgoth and Sauron. As the elven smiths carried the molten dagger from the forge, my daughter said, Imagine if they dropped that. Oh no, we have to go all the way to Valinor. Okay, I thought it was funny. Elrond drops the mithril into the molten gold and silver as it spins in the centrifuge. Not sure why they didn't need to melt it in the forge. And for a few spins, it looks like the Eye of Sauron. But the mithril accepts the gold and silver from Valinor, much to Celebrimbor's delight. They siphon off the metals and create the three elven rings. Elrond is pacing like an anxious father awaiting the birth of a baby before he goes back to the river and discovers the scroll. He's starting to piece together that Halbrand was not who he claimed to be. When he returns, the three rings are complete. Let's pause for a moment here. Each of the rings has a name. The white ring is Nenya. It is made of mithril and bears a stone of adamant, representing the air. Gladriel will be the bearer of this ring, which is also called the chief of the three. The red ring is Narya and had a ruby, representing fire. This ring was first born by Círdan, whom we haven't met yet in Rings of Power, but he would later pass the ring to Gandalf. The blue ring is Vilya, and with its sapphire represents water. It was worn by Gil-galad, 
who passed it to Elrond before the battle against Sauron in which he perished. This ring is called the Mightiest of the Three. An interesting tidbit is that each of these rings matches the fate of the three Silmarils. One Silmaril became a star in the heavens, another was cast deep into a fiery pit, and the other was cast into the sea. In the Fellowship of the Ring, Elrond explains what the purpose of the three rings is. Quote, but they were not made as weapons of war or conquest. That is not their power. Those who made them did not desire strength or domination or hoarded wealth, but understanding, making, and healing to preserve all things unstained. But what we've seen in Rings of Power has some complications. While the three rings were made by Celebrimbor alone, the other rings were not. Sauron had taken the fair form of Anatar, the Lord of Gifts, in which form he taught Celebrimbor and the Elven Smiths new knowledge and skill in the matters of creation and forging. The Silmarillion says, quote, Therefore they hearkened to Sauron, and they learned of him many things, for his knowledge was great. In those days the Elven Smiths of Eregion surpassed all that they had contrived before, and they took thought, and they made rings of power. But Sauron guided their labors, and he was aware of all that they did. For his desire was to set a bond upon the elves and to bring them under his vigilance. So this is the complication. If Halbrand is known as Sauron, how will he come back to teach Celebrimbor and the Elven Smiths? We know that the show doesn't have the rights to the stories in the Silmarillion, and the title Anatar never appears in the Lord of the Rings books, so I'll be interested to see how they dance around that issue. Here's another complication for Rings of Power. The Silmarillion states that, quote, the three had last been made. So the sets of seven and nine rings that will go to the dwarves and men respectively should have technically been made before the three, and as I just said, would have been made under the direct supervision of Sauron as Anatar. But in the first season of Rings of Power, we have zero indication that the seven or nine have even been conceived yet, let alone the many other rings that were made, which Gandalf hints at when he says to Frodo, Quote, in Eregion long ago, many elven rings were made, magic rings as you call them, and they were, of course, of various kinds, some more potent and some less. The lesser rings were only essays in the craft, before it was full-grown, and to the elven smiths they were but trifles, yet still, to my mind, dangerous for mortals. But the great rings, the rings of power, they were perilous. Again, I look forward to the creation of the seven and nine rings of power. However, not having the seven and nine rings forged yet has led to an interesting theory, and I need to credit a friend of mine for this one. This theory, or prediction rather, was derived after my friend watched the season finale and overheard the ring verse being sung in the closing credits. The ring verse is printed at the beginning of every Lord of the Rings book, and the first four lines are this, quote, Three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne. So the theory is that this first season of Rings of Power was all about the forging of the three rings. While season two will portray the seven rings and the dwarves, the third season will portray the nine rings and the men, not to mention the rise of the Nazgul, which also happens in the Second Age, and the fourth season will explore Sauron's creation of the One Ring to rule them all, leaving the fifth season for the fall of Numenor and the establishment of Elendil and his sons in Middle-earth. Not a bad prediction in my estimation. 
Well, that's all the lore that I have for you today. I hope you've enjoyed wandering through the Rings of Power season finale with me. Here are my final thoughts on Rings of Power season 1 as a whole. I am thrilled out of my mind to have more of Middle-earth being explored in a compelling, visual, storytelling form like Rings of Power. I am blown away by the visuals. I love exploring every nook and cranny of Middle-earth, from the cellars of hobbit holes to the peaks of the Misty Mountains and beyond. So to see Linden, Eregion, Khazad-dûm, Numenor, Mordor, Rune, and all the other places draws me in. I just wish we could explore more than just the individual sets we've seen in some of the places. The writing and dialogue has been mostly mediocre, with spots of brightness like the star that Sam sees in the skies for just a moment when the clouds of Mordor part, and even more moments of just really bad writing. I really hope they step up their writing in future seasons. I am still not convinced that the showrunners understand J.R.R. Tolkien, his work, and his philosophies that are embodied in his tales. So many sources have said things like, the showrunners are the biggest fans, they know Tolkien better than anyone, they had Tolkien scholars on set, etc, etc, etc. And I have seen elements of that come through. But lore inconsistencies and downright fundamental flaws have left me unconvinced. Which is saying something, because I really want to trust them. I really support this show. I'll give it the credit I feel it deserves and call out the flaws from my perspective. I really admire the showrunner's bravery. To step into the world of Middle-earth and adapt it to the screen is a near-impossible task. I am rooting for Patrick McKay and J.D. Payne to pull this off. I suppose I feel a bit like Elrond when he told Galadriel in the season finale, quote, You're making that promise very difficult to keep. Here are my two favorite components of Rings of Power. The twisted reflection of Gladriel and Sauron in the water, and the song This Wandering Day, which Poppy sang in a previous episode. I find that song so powerful, and I actually broke down the lore behind it in episode 43. Now, I would be remiss not to mention the last scene of the Rings of Power Season 1 finale. The three rings dissolve to what seems like black, before we realize that we're looking at the eye of Sauron, as he, in Halbrand form, looks upon Mount Doom in Mordor. The Dark Lord has come to his land. I mentioned the Ringverse earlier, and the credits roll with these words chiming in our ears, so I end this lore breakdown by quoting that poem in full. Quote, Three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, Nine for mortal men doomed to die. One for the Dark Lord on his dark throne. In the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all, one to find them. One ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. In the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.